0: I guess we all know that accepting payment is always part of a wider overall customer journey. And so they always need to be tightly integrated with other systems and processes, which I think is why we're starting to see more and more examples of embedded payments. And embedded finance takes this beyond payments to other banking services as well. But what does that really mean for all of us? Is it going to be the next big thing? And if so, how's it going to impact banks, merchants and consumers? Let's find out in this episode of Navigating Digital Payments.
1: Welcome to the Navigating Digital Payments podcast brought to you by Worldline, bringing you the latest innovations, trends and predictions about the future of payments.
0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Navigating Digital Payments podcast. I'm David Daly. I look after the Discovery Hub at Worldline and I'm really delighted today to be joined by two great guests. Uh, We have Panayotis Kriaris, who is the Head of Business Development at UNSA. Panayotis, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you for the invitation. Very nice uh, being here. Thank you.
0: And we also have regular guest, in fact, practically co-host of the podcast, Ina kostiak who is the Global Partner Manager for the Merchant Services part of the Worldline business. Hi, Ina. Great to have you back again.
1: Hello, everybody. Yes, my pleasure. It's always uh, up for an interesting debate.
0: So later, I really want to get your view on whether embedded finance is really going to be this, this, this next big thing. But first, I think it's worth us trying to just... Be really clear and clarify what we mean by embedded finance. Understand a little bit about what's happening in the area now, and also maybe understand what some of the challenges are. So, um, Panayotis, maybe first I can come to you. Could you start by setting out in really simple, easy to understand terms what people mean when they talk about embedded finance?
2: I think in in a sentence that's very simple for everyone to understand. So, actually, it's about embedding finance. A bending financial services or incorporating financial services into non-financial services offerings, as simple as that. I mean, the term is uh, relatively new, but the um, the model as such, I think, is uh, it has been around for decades, and we can think about. Uh, store and branded credit cards i mean uh, i think we all have experience from uh, retailers from i mean big ones from uh, airlines Um, the difference though is that in these cases we used to have these traditional financial products that were offered through either alternative channels or with a different branding but not with this embedded concept so today i think what we are uh, living is the and actually, that's for me a game changer. Is the ability to directly integrate these financial processes and offerings into any non-finance environment via APIs, and actually they become part of the offering itself. So you cannot really um, differentiate between uh, between the two. I mean, during the checkout process, and that's I think the, the 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 key difference here. So the digitization has has changed things, and for me this is the... The key difference
1: yeah it's clear that the uh, enhanced technology help to make uh, smooth for a uh, customer experience and of course uh, improve the, the business opportunities but we also hear a lot about BaaS, like banking as a service and uh, uh, what are the similarity or differences between the bus and the embedded finance for you
2: that, that, that's actually a very good question because uh, I uh, get to hear this a lot um, and I think uh, in, the, in the mind of many people uh, it's not clear enough. So when we say uh, bus, which is actually a, a term that means banking as a service and embedded finance, for me these are the two sides of the, of the same coin. And even though they're used uh, most of the times interchangeably, they are not the same thing. So I think you can imagine the difference being that bus is the bottom, the infrastructure layer that fits into the outcome, which is the embedded finance. So this is the front end, right? So you can imagine that you have, let's say, in many cases, you, you can have different layers all the way, but one is the bottom, as I said before, and the other one is the outcome. So the uh, bus in most of the cases is the enabler of what we see as, as, as clients, as consumers, as businesses. And maybe if I go back to the uh, definition uh, that we discussed and what you have mentioned, uh, Ina, uh, for me it would be also interesting to, to clarify that um, I think if I would have to uh, kind of uh, rank why we have been, uh, what is the change that we have been uh, seeing so far, I would see uh, very uh, roughly four things. So the first one is digitization, which has been changing the consumer uh, and the customer preferences. So we are all used to these seamless uh, customer journeys uh, that we know from, from the, the big techs, right? So that's one. The second one is what I would call the unbundling of financial services brought about by uh, technology. So we don't have one, let's say, provider offering everything on a vertical basis, but we do have different niches and different providers. Then we have the decoupling of the customer experience, as I call it, from the infrastructure uh, as a result of the use of APIs plus of the cloud. And then we also have the platform model, which for me is the, the dominant business model of the, of the open economy, economy. sorry. So if you put all these things together, I think you come to, to, to the... Uh, rise of what we call embedded finance, which is not to be mixed with uh, banking as a service, as we uh, explained before.
0: I guess there you've you've talked a bit about what we mean by embedded finance, and also I suppose some of the the building blocks in 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 the ecosystem. Um, I'm interested to know, Panayotis, have you have you got some some interesting or surprising cases where you've seen embedded finance being used?
2: I would say many. And uh, most of the times we probably don't realize that these are use cases that we call now, in, in theory, embedded finance. But, uh, you know, if I go on and mention some of them, I think that everybody will resonate with, uh, with those. So the first one is probably taxes integrating payments. I guess we all have, uh, you know, once you get your, once you call your uh, taxi through the app, there is a payment happening immediately at the background, which is integrated into the checkout process. So you don't even realize that this is happening. So you get on the taxi and then you get off the taxi. You don't have to do anything, and everything is happening at the background. So that's that's probably the the uh, most common use case that we we all know. Then we f- we for example uh, have the what we call buy now pay later. I mean, which has. Uh, been very popular over the past years, uh, has been, in a way, redefining e-commerce and, and, and fintech, right? And this is nothing more than embedded finance uh, at checkout, installment or invoice, right? So I mean, uh, we all know many many providers who are now offering this kind of uh, offerings. Um, then I would mention, uh, for example, even SMEs getting financing from their payments provider, which is happening today or invoice financing on, in, you know, in B2B marketplaces, for example, um, or e-commerce platform, platforms like uh, Shopify offering uh, uh, merchant accounts or insurance, for example, which is a very big use case for me. So both on the contextual acquisition basis, So imagine that when I buy something, it used to be the case that insurance would come after. Now with embedded finance, you have it at the same time. And this has been always the same—the the, the big problem of insurance because there was a decoupling of the insurance offering from the underlying uh, product. But now, if you have it during the, the same checkout process, on the one hand side, you have this contextual acquisition basis so you can increase sales. And on the other hand side, you're also solving many operational problems. So for example, the, to manage the insurance options, the policy claims or the process payments. And uh, probably the last one, uh, I'm not sure. I think that in, uh, I'm not sure if we, if we have it in Europe, I haven't seen it. But for example, in the U.S., uh, with Google Maps, you can also find participating street parking near the destination, and pay for it within the app using Google Pay. So that's an, another example of uh, embedded finance. So I think all these uh, use cases they're highlighting how much. Embedded actually embedded finances is in our day-to-day both on the B2C and the B2B side and I think this is increasingly becoming a, a reality
1: and i if if I, if I can add for the insurance business that it's been always quite expensive area of the business. and uh, the, to focus to reduce costs,' been there for a while. and with embedded uh, finance, it's actually much easier to do. And now to my, uh, to offer even some smaller insurance for a low low value ticket also possible. And we already see that uh, at least in Amazon, they, they they do it. I am not sure. Also, many that many platform and neuron, but uh, it's also quite some cases uh, in the U.S. At
2: least. I mean, if we would have to let's say categorize in four or five very broad uh, domains the use cases, I would say payments is probably the the first one and probably the, the the most mature one. And then you have insurance, you have lending, you have banking, and also there is a, a, a very big. Uh, uh, segment that I would call wealth management, which is uh, in terms in terms of potential, it's not that broad as the other ones, and not as mature. But I think it's something that we need uh, to mention.
0: And what I thought was interesting listening to to your answer there is that a big part of it seems to me about how integrated it is into the into the overall customer journey. And I say that because I think. Um lots of it is not new individually, so you've always been able to get finance to buy things. But I remember once um doing this for a phone, and really I I I had a checkout process for the phone, and then a totally different process that took a few days to set up the finance around it. So it really felt very very stand standalone and not integrated at all. And that of course is completely different to now the kind of BNPL experience where uh, you know it, it's it's taking seconds, and it's fully integrated with the um with the checkout process. For
2: me, there is a rule that says, you know the the more difficult it is to understand what's behind, the better the integration is, and the better the the whole process it is. right? I mean, if you are not even feeling what's sitting behind, if you're not even in the position to understand, how the two or three or more offerings differentiate uh, with the, w- between each other, then I would say that this is for me the key of success. And this is what we would call seamless integration, which has become kind of a a buzzword lately.
0: Coming back to your taxi example, I noticed with Uber you can tip the driver now after you've um, had a had a taxi ride, and what's interesting there is. It's it's as part of the review process. So you give them a star rating and you can leave some feedback and then it asks if you want to tip them. And I do wonder psychologically, you know, if you've just given someone five stars and said they were very friendly, maybe you feel more like you should give them a tip than if <laughs> than if you just had something flashing up saying, Would you like to give me a tip? Um I, I don't know, of course, but I again I what I what I do notice is it does not feel like a separate payment action at all. It feels like pushing a button i think they even give predefined amounts and then the tip is made and it's i mean
2: the tipping is again part of the of the process right so that's again the the, the, the secret so if you're happy with the driver if you are happy with the ride if they for example uh, made the next effort to to get you to the destination because you had uh, you know you 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 had a, a meeting and you were late for example uh, this kind of stuff right so it's it's part of the natural Process and of the of the of the tax of the of the right, and that's that's here
0: the, the secret. And Ina, maybe if I can come to you, uh, what are you seeing related to embedded finance with our with our merchant customers? And are you, are you seeing them having? A, are they understanding this? Are they having challenges? What 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 are they? What what's the kind of approach or the reaction being to this?
1: Well, uh, our merchants uh, maybe don't call it and don't crave necessary for embedded uh, finance. But what they really focus on is to first keep the existing uh, client base and uh, uh, have a new client with a very low costs. So the customer centricity is always uh, is uh, one of the element which is driving their decision making. And if the integrated payment or other financial services are integrated Within, uh, within their offer, they're definitely much more interested uh, to have it because it's uh, it's uh, increase uh, their revenues. The it's uh, the retention rate will stay quite high, and uh, have uh, a more added value services for their for their users or merchants or clients. And um, what we see as well is well that uh, there are more and more businesses like merchants, uh, aim to have one device, one option to serve their clients. So now when you go to a restaurant, you can see sometimes that waiter has uh, on hand one tablet already kind of attached to the hand. It's Android device where you would uh, they would be uh, asking you order, where they put order, where they add orders, where they serve several tables like this. And in the end you can pay for that tablet. So it's very seamless payment process already integrated with the 3rd party applications through the API, where you don't need to to run between different devices, you don't need to search for point of sales. It's just like as soon as you get your waiter or even any other waiter, they can just put number of your table and get immediately your bill or ask uh, to to send it to you via email and allow you to pay. So such things we, we see more and more in the market and merchant wish to have it.
0: So we've talked a bit there about the merchant side. Panagiotis, maybe you could comment on what this is meaning for banks. I'm trying to figure out really whether this is a threat for them or, or, or an opportunity.
2: For me, embedded finance is probably one of the best chances that banks have today to adapt to the new landscape. I mean, not only to adapt, but also to thrive and to succeed. And I think uh, we have to put this in a, in a context uh, to begin with. Uh, and we need to understand that the competitive landscape of today is very, very different to what it used to be, let's say, 10 or 15 years ago. So instead of having only banks, so on, 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 a, on a vertical kind of uh, business model, owning the entire value chain, what do you have today? You have different players spread among a multitude of layers, and they're competing in one or more of these by assuming multiple roles. So. And you also have what i mentioned before this new distribution model which we call platform economics so if you put all these things together uh, you have uh, you know a, a disruption which is taking place and it's cutting actually through all the key elements of finance as we used to know so it's influencing the mechanics it's influencing the operations the monetization the distribution everything so and that's why i'm saying that for uh, for me embedded finance even though Banks have to make an effort and understand what exactly this is and uh, how it can be adding value to their uh, business model. Uh, But they have a few options and they have a few options to differentiate what they do in this value chain. I mean there is a very interesting um, number coming from InnoPay that um, embedded finance it's probably gonna uh, make up up to 30% of bank revenues by 2030. So imagine if you have somebody who is not actively pursuing uh, this new new business model I think there is a high risk of them being left uh, behind. So if I can summarize the the roles that were let's say that uh, Benefit Finances is is kind of uh, Uh, providing as an opportunity for banks, I would say that, uh, first of all, is the the platform model that I mentioned before, so they can actually own the delivery channels without necessarily owning all the services in-house, but rather aggregating or embedding them from third parties like fintechs. And and this actually is a model that could fit uh, players of different sizes and sophistication levels. So, for example, it can fit the larger incumbents that have the resources and the customer base to build an ecosystem around them, or also even small challengers that they want to grow and cannot afford to develop all the offerings in-house. So that's one. Now, on the flip side, you can also have traditional banks looking for differentiation and they could use uh, the the banking as a service, so they can leverage their banking license. At the end of the day, banking as a service has two main elements. One is the licensing and the other one is the infrastructure. So, And given that uh, in many cases you have incumbents that run on outdated technology stacks, they could, and I've seen this happening on the, on the market, actually across many markets, they could partner with a technology provider and uh, in this case they would uh, bridge the licensing piece with the infrastructure, effectively. Uh, so this is the, what we call fronting, for example. And then of course you have more advanced players, they can leverage this, what we call this full stack bus model, the banking as a service, and they can build both on the licensing and on the technology side, right? Uh, and they can offer end-to-end vertical integrated models uh, with a high degree of, uh, of customization, right? So we, we've been seeing all these uh, things and new models on the, on the market and again I think uh, for me that's a huge opportunity for, for banks and uh, had it not been for embedded finance I think they would have to somehow invent it uh, as an opportunity.
0: And I wonder, because I think we've talked a lot about the positive aspects of embedded finance, so partly the fact that it really makes it, you know, a more integrated, seamless experience for the consumer, for merchants, I guess it can boost conversions by offering loans at the point of sale, but also gives them a chance to upsell things like insurance, as, as Ina was mentioning. And as you said there, Panagiotis, for the banks, it's, it, cause it's kind of providing an opportunity, I guess, to extend the reach of, of the products and services they offer. But are there some downsides? Are there some challenges um, around embedded finance?
2: For sure. I mean, uh, I, I think, you know, it, it always has to do with how you implement something, right? And then you have to take into account that this is something that not, not everybody um, knows very well what it means and what it does. So for me, the first, I mean, if I would have to name a couple of things, I would uh, start with. uh, So imagine that, you know, you have a model. It it has become kind of a buzzword today. So everybody's talking about embedded finance, even though many do not necessarily understand what it means and what it takes behind to build one. So I think the first one, uh, the first challenge for me is not having the, the right strategy in place, which is aligned exactly with the embedded finance. So why? You need to understand why you're doing this, what the model means for you, what what role exactly uh, you, you want to play, uh, why it makes sense and how you're going to monetize. So it, it's not that we okay, let's go and do it, but you have to, uh, to do your homework uh, behind in advance. So that's the first challenge for me. It's not always a given. Now the second one is what we mentioned before, which is very, very crucial, and it has with this seamless integration in the end-to-end flow which is not always again something that it goes without saying right so you have to integrate the embedded finance offerings that are a fit for you in a way that is not causing friction and without disrupting the existing flow that you have right so you might have a competitive advantage for example in terms of uh, having a very good operational setup in terms of having a very quick end-to-end checkout process but imagine if you embed let's say offerings in the, in the wrong way, and you disrupt in a negative way your competitive edges, then you are actually uh, having the opposite uh, result of what you are targeting. So that's the second one. And maybe the third one, which is also very important, is how do you manage trust from an end-customer perspective? Because here, as we said, we are dealing with uh, selling products that go beyond what is my core competence as a business. So if I'm selling, I don't know, books, how do I convince somebody who is my customer that actually I'm competent enough, I have the capabilities, it's not a fraud to sell something that is going far beyond what they would see as my core business, right? So there is a bit of an education to be done with your end clients, with your providers, right? So these are things that you need to take into account. So I would not necessarily say that these are negative sides but these are challenges and as always in, in, in as, as in every uh, aspect in every you know everything that we do we need to take into consideration how we best manage to address these uh, challenges
0: that's really interesting Panagiotis. so in a moment i'd like to finish off by getting your view on how embedded finance is going to evolve into the future and whether you think it is going to be the next big thing um But before we come on to that, I just want to remind people that if you want to get in touch with us to propose new topics uh, for future podcasts, or if you have any questions, then you can email in by writing to ndp-podcast at worldline.com. And also a reminder, please, if you haven't uh, already done so, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast, then you'll never miss an episode. Um, And also please leave us a, a rating and a review. So coming back to that main question then, Panachiotis, do you think embedded finance is going to be the next big thing and if so over what kind of timeline what changes are we going to see
2: i think we already see i mean we have been discussing a lot about the use cases about the examples about why this can make a difference so i think we already see a certain level of disruption caused by embedded finance and i think that's only going to continue and if you ask me uh there is one simple reason why I think embedded finance will uh, come to dominate all the more uh, our business and, and, and consumer lives and I think it's about uh, taking decisions and imagine it used to be the case that we would take a decision so you would probably go to a bank when it comes to a financial offering. But what we, what we increasingly see is that we have customers taking decisions, finance decisions in non-financial contexts. Right? And in this case, you have embedded finance becoming, in many cases, a mainstream offering. So, this is for me the big uh, game-changer, this is changing everything, right? And uh, that's why, um, I think this is also connected to the fact that we are seeing these typical and traditional business and industry boundaries disappearing very fast, right? You don't know who is actually doing what. So you have, let's say, e-commerce players, uh, offering uh, financial services, uh, you have banks going the other way, becoming technology companies. So you have a mix of things. So the I, I would say that the the playing field is changing, the roles are changing, and that's why for me uh, this uh, many finance is a big uh, is a big thing. Uh, and despite all uh, what we have seen so far in terms of evolution, I think we've just started scratching the surface of the potential. Embedded Finance. So I think we're going to see more use cases. I think we're going to see a plethora of industries such as retail um, and e-commerce I mean we've seen but you are going to see more. But you're also going to see more non-traditional from an expectation point of view industries that will be joining the game. I can imagine uh, healthcare. I can imagine uh, uh, auto, the auto industry. I can imagine travel, hospitality, uh, of course, platforms and marketplaces. So uh, we're going to see more of this happening. Um, So I'm confident that this will be uh, becoming a a large part of uh, business.
1: And uh, from the merchant perspective, we do see that uh, as they wish to have all simplicity and it's already integrated to the platform where they work, that's why the marketplaces are their number one demand because they usually offer that uh, simplicity of integration. They usually already offer at least in payment. Some of them started to look into other services under the uh, finance as well. And uh, as mentioned, the number one demand is uh, B2B lending. So it's really for micro merchant or uh, for SMBs uh, space. And uh, that's why they're the all uh, looking into the best platform to, to work with and, of course, to have a glo- global footprint as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, Ina, what you mentioned uh, is, is very spot on. I think it's, it has a name as well. So you have a model which is called revenue-based financing. So it's financing coming immediately from the providers, let's say payment providers or PSPs of the merchants, actually coming directly from them. And you have a model whereby they receive directly Um, First of all you have the credit uh, scoring uh, done based on data that they have in place so in many cases banks for example they don't have this kind of data and on the the other hand they can also directly provide uh, very fast uh, disbursements connected to the uh, volumes they do so there is a very seamless uh, experience, they get their money very very quickly and they grow the business together with the financing. So actually, the financing is adjusted, is being adjusted to their
0: needs. So to me, it's been a really interesting and quite wide-ranging uh, discussion again. I mean, I think it was useful, Panagiotis, at the start that you set out what we mean by embedded finance. So it's really the integration of financial products and services into a vertical where that isn't their core business. I think it was interesting also to differentiate it from banking as a service where where banking as a service is more i suppose a back office enabler of this whereas the embedded finance is what the the end user the consumer is seeing it was interesting when you spoke about the use cases i think most people would realize we're we've probably all used embedded finance already you know whether it's a payment for a taxi or whether it's a, a split term payment at, at the point of checkout and um, Interesting, I think, as well to see that the kind of importance of this for merchants as discussed by Ina, but also the relevance um in, in the banking world and also covering some of those those challenges. And I think on that topic of it, is it the next big thing? I think what you said, Panachiotis, about we're basically seeing the the increasing making of decisions about financial products and services as part of a customer journey that is not directly related so once upon a time you might have thought about getting a loan or um thought about taking out some insurance as a separate activity and now that's something that's happening as a tightly integrated part of of buying a product or or another service i think it's it's interesting to see how that is going to transform the landscape in the coming years so really want to thank um both of you so much for for joining the podcast and having this great discussion. Panachiotis, thank you so much to you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And Ina, of course, always great to to have you joining. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. It was, uh, as always, insightful.
0: And that just leaves me finally to thank our dear listeners for joining us again for this episode of Navigating Digital Payments.
1: Thank you for listening to the navigating digital payments podcast brought to you by worldline join us next time to learn more about the latest innovations trends and predictions for the future of payments